Thank you so much. Thank you. It is uh, so great to be here. Uh, I am honored to be here. Hello to everybody across all campuses and those watching online today. And I just want to say thank you to Jason for inviting me to be a part. It's my first time in Minnesota. And uh, I'm very grateful that Jason invited me to come in July <laughs> and uh, not in January. Because I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And we in Atlanta, Georgia, we cancel school if there's 1% chance of snow in the five surrounding states. And I have found out since being here that you still will go for your morning run in two feet of snow. And so I'm very happy to be here uh, this summer. I wanted to show you just a picture of my family. It doesn't have anything to do with my message, but just so you can get some context for me. Uh, this is my beautiful family. This is uh, my wife, the love of my life, Maggie. And these are our three girls. Charlie's in my arms. She's nine months old. Mercy is the older one down below. She is a four, about to be five. And the one who looks like she just ate candy or did something she shouldn't have in the bottom is Ember, and uh, she's three. I grew up in a house of four boys. I have three brothers, and God has a sense of humor. <laughs> so I have three daughters, and I am uh, learning a lot about emotions and uh, tears that can't be explained. I tried to make a rule in my house. I said, listen, ladies, you can only cry if you can tell dad why you're crying. And my wife very kindly said, sweetheart, it just doesn't work that way. Um, but they're amazing, and I love them dearly. I'm honored to bring the word to you today, so let's pray and then jump into the message together. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Thank you that this book is not outdated or antiquated, but it is living and active. And so I pray today over the next few minutes, God, that you will bring this word to life for people so that they can see it, grab hold of it, and be changed by it. That more than just having a good experience at church today, that we would all have an encounter with you today that would leave us changed. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, we're living in a little bit of an interesting time. You don't need me to tell you that, but we're living in a day that's really marked by the individualization of society. And we have found ourselves in a bit of a cultural crisis. We're more connected than ever, but yet we're more isolated and lonely than ever. Maybe you saw this at the beginning of the month of May. The U.S. Surgeon General announced that there's a new epidemic in America, and it is the epidemic of loneliness, defined as extreme sadness because one has no friends or company. And it's taking a serious toll on us, young and old. It excludes nobody. It's having a serious impact on us as a society. In fact, the U.S. Surgeon General likened the mortality impact of being socially disconnected to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. It's a very real problem with very real consequences that we're facing today. And, and the reality is, and I think everybody at some, in some regard would agree with this, the reality is that as a society, we're failing at building healthy, meaningful relationships. And God designed us to live out our lives in the context of community. That's how you and I are knit together. Even me, who's the most introverted person at church today. 
And there was some, some part of the 2020 era that I was like, this is awesome as an introvert. You mean I don't have to go to work and see people? This is amazing. And yet in all that, we found out we were designed to live our lives in community and to be around people. That's how God knit us together. And I think there are a lot of things contributing to the loneliness epidemic in America, and I certainly don't want to oversimplify things today. But I believe one of the main things contributing to it is that we do not know how to navigate conflict in relationships. And we're going to talk about a big topic for the next few moments today that's at the heart of the gospel and is as central to us as the people of God. And that's the idea and the topic of forgiveness. Tim Keller, who's written a book on forgiveness that I would recommend to everyone, said this. He said, forgiveness is a test of our belief in our understanding of the gospel. And I agree with him. Forgiveness is an easy concept to agree with on paper, but it's a very difficult command to live out in our lives. It was C.S. Lewis who said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has someone or something to forgive. And, and what we know to be true, what I know to be true in my own life is that oftentimes it's easier to just eject than it is to do the difficult work of forgiveness. That there's something in us that would rather avoid conflict than address it. That we would rather retaliate against someone than reconcile with them. That we would rather eject than engage. When someone wrongs us, you know, we, we tend to have this propensity to think, you know what, I'll just leave. Right? Like maybe you're at your gym and somebody says something or does something and it offends you and you go, you know what? I'll just leave. I'll just find a new gym. Somebody in your small group doesn't invite you to something and you find out about it or they say something that comes back around that you didn't like and you think, you know what? I'll just find a new small group. I'll just find a new circle of friends. I'll just unfollow them. I'll just block them on all my social media accounts and wipe their existence as though they never existed. I'll just go to a different school. You know what? I'll just leave. I'll just go to a different church because somebody at that church offended me. Or in a very real sense, what we're seeing right now is, you know what? I'll just get in a different marriage because there was too much conflict in that one. And I see this at play in my own life. When, when conflict arises, the, the first urge in me is just run. Just go the other way. Just don't deal with it. Just, just move in a different direction. Let them go their way and you go your way. But it's taking a serious toll on us because we're all taking our own ways and it's leaving us isolated and God didn't create us to live our lives like that. And, and for some of us, me included, we can oftentimes hide behind the false front of I'll just be the mature one. You ever realize when there's conflict, when you leave, somehow you convince yourself you're always the mature one? You know, I'll just, I'll just take the high road. I'll be the mature one here. But everybody's on their own high road right now, and everybody's isolated from everybody else, and it's hurting us as a society. And Jesus speaks a lot about this. And even when we isolate, I think this is the thing that we've seen over the last few years, even when we're so offended by people that we choose to just isolate and go into our own corners, that even when we're there, we're being offended. That's because everywhere you go, there you are. And if there's no one else to offend, it, offend us, I've found out I'll just offend myself. You know what I mean by that? And so 
if we're going to have meaningful relationships, we're going to have to learn how to forgive others. It was Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, who said this, and I love it. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And all the married people said, amen. So we're going to be in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your copy of scripture, I'd invite you to turn there. And I just want to give you a gentle, loving, pastoral, I'm from Atlanta, I'm just here for a couple day warning, okay? When you have a message like this, and we're talking about a, an idea, a topic like forgiveness, there's going to be something, I guarantee you, that triggers in your mind subconsciously that is going to immediately think, I wish my boss were here to hear this. <laughs> or you'll just kind of gently be nudging your you know, spouse, going like, hey, this is for you today. Pay attention, sweetheart. Take notes today. This is for you. And we'll all, when we hear a message like forgiveness, just assume that it's for everybody else. But I would like to encourage you today to just silence that voice and not to, not to delegate the conviction of God's word to everybody else, but to sit under it ourselves and go, God, what do you want to speak to me today? And how do you want me to receive this message today? In fact, Jesus warns that earlier, warns us against that earlier in the book of Matthew. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Because what's true is to be a student of everyone else's sin and shortcomings, but to be oblivious of your own sets you up for a series of fragile and shallow relationships that won't be able to withstand even the smallest of offenses. And that is what's happening to us at a very real level in society. So in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about relationships and navigating conflict. And just before the text we're going to be in today, which begins in verse 21, just to see some context in the verses before that, Jesus is teaching on how to address conflict in the church. And, and it's not the message today, but let me just give you the highlights and then we'll get to the message today. Jesus says, first of all, if someone offends you, go to him privately and talk to him. What a crazy idea that is. Like if someone says something to me and offends me, you want me to just like in the flesh go talk to them? That is a crazy thought in 2023. And don't run from them. Don't ghost them. Don't block them. Don't blog about them. Don't gossip about them. Just go to him and talk it out. And he says, if he listens, then you've gained your brother. And I think really at the heart, that's where we're off right now, is we're not really trying to win anybody over. We're more trying to prove everybody wrong. So he says, go to him alone. That doesn't work. Go get one or two other people so you got some witnesses and go back and talk to him again. And if that doesn't work, then tell it to the church. And if that doesn't work, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Nobody's ever liked a tax collector. But for efficiency's sake, we'd all just like to skip steps one through three and jump to step four. Just tell me when I can be done with them. But the first three steps are important. Because the aim for people who are living as Jesus' representatives on planet Earth is to strive for reconciliation in our relationships. So Peter pipes up in our text. You can almost always count on Peter to pipe up. And he says in verse 21, Lord, 
how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, before we all go bashing on Peter, which we're all normally pretty quick to do, oh, Peter of little faith only took a few steps on the water. Well, if I'm Peter, I'm like, great, let's start a walk on water club. It's me, Jesus, and who else? <laughs> the dude had some faith, okay? So Peter pipes up and he says, how often do I have to forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Now, the rabbinical tradition of the day says that you only had to forgive someone three times. If you forgave them three times, you're in the clear. You're good. So Peter here is stretching out his concept of grace to about the furthest length he could imagine it could go. Up to seven times. I'm not just going to double the tradition of the day. I'm going to double it plus some. And Jesus responds, not seven times but 77 times. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading, your text there may say 77 times, or it may say 70 times seven. So for all the nerds in the room like me, that's called a textual variant. Doesn't that sound exciting? That means when you go back to the original Greek, Greek manuscripts, the smartest of minds on planet Earth, when they look at the original Greek manuscripts, some read it as 77 times, and some read it as 70 times seven. I went to seminary for seven years. I gotta be honest. I don't know what the right answer is. But here's what I know. Whether it's 77 times, or whether it's 70 times seven, which is 490, the point Jesus is making doesn't change. The point is, stop counting. The point is, if you're counting in your relationships, you're losing. We are to offer an unlimited amount of forgiveness. The way Eugene Peterson translates 1 Corinthians 13, 5, is he says, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And if you're keeping score in your relationships, even if you think you're winning the arguments, you're losing relationally. And then Jesus gives us this parable, as he would often do. It's known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it plays out in three scenes. And Jesus oftentimes would do this. He would use parables and, and he, he would tell stories. He would use the familiar things to explain the unfamiliar things. He would take things that everybody understood and he would use them to explain things that people couldn't comprehend. And that's what he's doing here. So beginning in verse 23, let's look at this parable together. It says, therefore, the kingdom, Jesus speaking, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Very common practice at the time. So the servant fell on his knees imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I read this text for a lot of my life, and you just kind of read through it and go on to the next story. But as I began to dig around in it and, and, and understand what Jesus was saying, it blew my mind because Jesus is giving a picture here through this parable that we have to get some context for the day to understand. Because in our vernacular, we don't use the words talents 
uh, very much. In fact, talent for us has become a skill that you have. But at the time, a talent was the highest form of currency in the Roman Empire. So this servant had racked up a serious debt. A, a talent's the highest form of money in the ancient Roman Empire. In fact, the annual revenue of the Herodian Empire was 900 talents. And this dude had racked up 10,000 talents worth of debt. That was the highest number that there was a word for in the Greek language, was 10,000 talents. It would be the equivalent of us today in our language saying, this guy owed a gazillion dollars. He had a serious charge against him. Daryl Bach, who's a professor at the seminary that I went to and a brilliant New Testament scholar, calculated that it would take 275,000 years for an average uh, years of labor for an average worker to pay off this debt. This is a serious charge. So the king orders payment to be made. The servant falls on his knees and he says, have patience with me and I'm going to pay you back everything. Now the king knows there's no way this guy can pay back everything. And honestly, the guy knows there's no way I can pay back everything. I can't even count my debt, much less make a plan to pay it back. And out of pity for him, the king has compassion on him. Enormous debt could never be paid. And the king did not say, I'll give you more time before I collect. He didn't negotiate a better price for him. He didn't put him on a payment plan. It says that he forgave him the debt, eliminated. At great cost to himself, the man owed him 10,000 talents. Debt eliminated. 10,000 debts not to be collected. I'll just take the hit as the king, and I'm going to forgive you of your debt. Now, we have to find our place in the parables, and oftentimes we like to choose the characters in the parables that don't actually represent us. But sadly, we're not the king in this story. I know we all would like to be the king in this story, but we're not the king in this story. The king is God in this story. We are the servant who had racked up an incalculable debt. The word debt is oftentimes used in the scriptures to illustrate sin. Debt equals sin, and sin equals debt. So our sin was like the debt of this man. We had racked up a huge charge against God. All sin is against God. And so may, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know. I don't feel like I've really racked up a huge debt against God. Maybe you're just saying, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm better than everybody else in my family. I'm certainly better than everybody else at my company. But you have to understand, God's standard is not that you're better than somebody else. God's standard is perfection. And none of us are perfect. The scripture says, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, um, you haven't committed murder, that's good. But I say to you, if you even look and are angry with your brother or sister, then you're guilty. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe I am guilty. In the Psalms, he, he says, which always messes with me, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And before a word is on my mouth, you know it. Now, I don't know about you, but my mind will sabotage me sometimes. I'll be driving down the road, and a thought will come into my mind, and I almost just have to like pound it out of my head. Like, what is wrong with you? Why would you be thinking about that? We're fallen. We're living on a fallen planet, and we are fallen people. We are sinful people. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 130, 
He says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, meaning another translation says, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could stand? Even if we had 275,000 years, there's no way for us to pay back the debt we owed to God for our sin. See, Romans says that the wages of sin is death. We, we had racked up a serious charge against God. We didn't need more time. We didn't need a better negotiation. We needed someone to step in and cover our debt for us, and we got that in the person of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he, Jesus, remove our transgressions, our sin, our debt from us. Then the scene changes, scene two of the parable. But when that same servant, who had just been forgiven 10,000 talents, when that same servant went out of the king's presence, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, using the exact same words, have patience with me and I'll pay you. But, but the man said, it says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now think about this. You have this servant who owes 10,000 talents, an incalculable charge to the king. He stands in the king's presence. His debt gets eliminated. That's unthinkable for him. He walks out of the king's presence with the weight and the burden of all his debt being finally lifted off of him. He walks out the door and finds another guy who owes him 100 denarii and starts choking him out saying, pay me what you owe me. Doesn't that sound crazy? Now, a hundred denarii is, is no small charge. A, a, denarii, a denarius was one day's wages. So a hundred denarii is three plus months wages. I don't know about you, but if you owe me three plus months wages, I'd come knocking on your door. This is a pretty serious offense. And so he, he walks out, and I want you to see this man says to me, pleads with him in the exact same words, have mercy on me. And while the king responds to the first servant with grace, the servant then leads and responds to the other servant, not with grace, but with greed. And he says, put him in jail until he can pay us back. How foolish does this sound when you hear about it in a parable? And yet, how often do we do that in our own relationships? We have stood under this enormous waterfall of grace, being forgiven of an incalculable debt through the sacrifice of Jesus who paid our debt by giving his life on the cross. And yet then we leave standing from underneath that waterfall of grace and we're unwilling to offer for and extend forgiveness to the people around us. Now Jesus is using a picture here and I want you to try to see the picture. So one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. Now I, I want just for an illustration for you to kind of get what Jesus is saying because I think it's going to help us today. I want to pretend that this coin is worth 100 denarii. So in scene two, as the servant who had been forgiven walks out and finds the other guy, this is what the other guy owes him. This is three plus months wages. He owes him 100 denarii. This is what, what he's being choked out for not being able to pay. But Jesus is intentionally trying to illustrate here the difference between the charges people have against us and what we've been forgiven of in Christ. And so I want you to just see a picture. If, if this one coin represents 100 denarii, 
what would it be to showcase what the charge of 10,000 talents would be? And, and I have some other coins here. So what do you think it would be? Maybe like, I don't know, this is about 20 coins here, 20 to one. That'd be a pretty serious offense. 20 times. Or, or, or maybe let's, let's just go crazy and double it and say that's about 50 times. No, what Jesus is illustrating is going to blow your mind today, as it blew mine and blew my heart up, is he's saying the difference in the offenses. If one coin is 100 denarii, it's not a couple handfuls. This is what you've been forgiven of. Hope nobody needs any nickels in Minnesota. <laughs> Think about this picture that Jesus is giving of how much you've been forgiven in Christ. All your past sins, present and future, one time for all time through the sacrifice of his son coming to give his life to pay your debt. Is it... I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty big difference between now. Now, what he's saying is he's not belittling this. He's not going, oh, look how much you've been forgiven, you big sinner. And somebody owes you just this little amount. Come on, just, just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. If the message today is just rub some dirt on it and get over it, you'll never be able to truly forgive somebody. That's not what Jesus is saying. He wants you to understand the magnitude that you have been forgiven because when you understand the magnitude that you've been forgiven, you have fuel in your tank to then be able to extend what you have received. And Jesus is trying to give this picture, which this is a crazy picture, but what if I told you that it's not just one bucket full of 4,000 coins. It's not 4,000 times one. And it's not even the equivalent of two of these buckets full of 4,000 coins poured out. It's not the equivalent if I had 10 of these buckets poured out full of coins. It's not the equivalent of having a hundred buckets full of 4,000 coins each poured out. It is the equivalent, if you do the math, the difference in the charge is the equivalent of 150 of these buckets full of 4,000 coins each poured out. Jesus is saying to us today and was saying to him in this day through this parable, that's what you have been forgiven of in Christ. And when you understand the debt that's been paid for you, you now can extend what you have received. That's how forgiveness works. You can't go offer forgiveness to other people if you haven't first received the forgiveness from Jesus Christ, because that fuel is what will motivate you to move out in your horizontal relationships and offer what you first have received. And until we understand how much we have been forgiven, we will never truly be able to forgive others. And then scene three happens. It says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to the master, all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
when you read the New Testament, you understand that, that forgiveness is serious business to Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, this, this famous text where Jesus is teaching us how to pray, the only thing that he comes back and adds on to afterwards to expound on a little bit is the importance of forgiveness. In verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14 and 15, he comes back and adds to that and says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is saying is, your willingness to extend forgiveness is evidence that you have received forgiveness. That you extend to others what you have received yourself. So a few practical takeaways for us today as we talk about forgiveness. Number one, and we've been saying this, we forgive because we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, let me be clear, the intention of this illustration of what Jesus is saying is not to make you feel bad, like, look at you, you sinner, look how much, look how much debt you have racked up. Paul, oftentimes through his epistles, would remind people of where they were before they met Jesus. Was it to make them feel bad? Was it that, so that it would produce in them self-condemnation about how bad they used to be? No, that's not the heart at all. What it was meant to accomplish was to produce in them gospel gratitude, meaning when I sit and think about the cross and what was accomplished for me and that I didn't get what I deserved because Jesus took what I deserved so that I could get what he deserved, therefore I now have this overwhelming bubbling up gratitude in my heart. And from that place now, I can move into all of my relationships. Your comprehension of the gospel determines your ability to extend the gospel. And when we read stories in the scripture, it's important to not just read what Jesus did and be impacted by it, but it is to understand the goal is not just to be impacted by what we read about Jesus, but we're called to be imitators of the life Jesus lived. That if this is the way Jesus lived, this is the way we too are supposed to live. Now, I love, it tells us how we're to forgive. We're to forgive genuinely. It says at the end of the text, we're to forgive from the heart. Now, I grew up in a house with three brothers. And we had a uh, Ford Taurus station wagon with wood paneling. Anybody else? This was back in the day where they let you sit in the back and you could face out of the back. I don't know how that passed, whatever test that has to pass. That would never fly now. Parents would be put in jail if you did that now. But we would sit in the back of the station wagon, and I mean, just if somebody breathed the wrong way, it was four boys in a car, we would just get into an all-out brawl, you know? And, and if mom was driving, we would keep going. If dad was driving, we were, we were better behaved because he was more likely to pull the car over and get us out of the back and, um, and, and make sure we no longer misbehaved. But my mom... <laughs> Anytime, anytime we had an argument or a fight, my mom would make us quote this verse, and we would do it just like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Meanwhile, that's coming out of our lips, and we're still kicking each other, you know, underneath the things, so she can't see us. That's not forgiveness. That's called escaping punishment. Forgiveness is genuine. Jesus is saying it has to be from your heart. It has to be genuine. And maybe for you today, as you think about a relationship, you think, oh, I don't have it in me to forgive them. 
Well, I just wanna lovingly remind you, if Christ is in you, then you do have it in you to forgive because he will give you the power and the fuel to be able to do that. Number two, our motivation for forgiving others is not simply personal freedom, but gospel alignment. Meaning, us extending forgiveness is not just about us gaining inner peace or happiness, though you will get that. But in our culture, we're so focused on ourselves. In fact, interestingly enough, I found out on a plane ride up to Minnesota that two days ago was International Forgiveness Day, Global Forgiveness Day. Did you know we had a day? Did you celebrate it? Did you have a nice dinner? We have a day for everything now. We have a, 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 a National Donut Day. Did you celebrate that this year? We have a Penguin Awareness Day. Don't know if you celebrated that one. And my favorite, we have a Middle Child Day, which I'm going to make sure my parents buy me gifts for next year. But the description of what we're celebrating on Global Forgiveness Day was all about ourselves. Look at the major benefits to our own health when we forgive others. It lowers your risk of heart attack. You get better sleep, better blood pressure, lower levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And all those things are true and worth extending forgiveness for. But our motivation as Jesus people is not purely self-motivated. It is gospel-motivated, meaning that we have received this message of grace from Jesus. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, now we've been given the message of reconciliation, that we don't just want to get better ourselves we want even those who have offended us to receive the grace, love, and mercy that we have received in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have heard the quote before. If not, I love it. It says, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping for the other person to die. And I have found that to be true in my own life. The biblical model of forgiveness is that what we get from our vertical relationship heals us of the anger and bitterness we have in our hearts. And then from that place, horizontally, we can offer it to other people. Last two, and I'll go quickly through these. When it comes to forgiveness, Jesus teaches that it's always your move first. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, he says uh, in, in Matthew chapter five, if you're offering a gift at the altar, you, you come in to church and you're offering a gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has a charge against you, you've wronged them in some way. He goes, leave your gift there and go make it right with them before you come back and offer it. So whether you're the, and then in this text today, this is the person who's racked up the debt and, and he's saying, it's your move. So whether you're the offender or the offendee, if you're a believer in Jesus and a carrier of the light and message of the grace of the gospel, then it is always your move first. So maybe you look back, you know what, I reached out last time and it just wasn't received well. It's your turn again. You know what, we've been trying to work this thing out in our marriage and I really went out there last week and it just wasn't well received. It's your turn again. The scoreboard doesn't dictate whose turn it is. Your allegiance to Jesus dictates whose turn it is to move first. And for those who are in Christ, it is always our move first. And lastly, forgiveness is always a promise before it is a feeling. Maybe you get to this place where you think, you know what, I just don't feel like forgiving them. Magically one day, I think I'm gonna wake up one day and just go, you know what, I feel like forgiving them. I don't know about you, that, that day to me never comes. Forgiveness is a promise before it's a feeling. Now, feelings aren't bad. They're just not ultimate. They change and truth doesn't. They're not bad passengers, but feelings make terrible drivers. And so just to clarify, to forgive someone doesn't mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean your relationship has to go back to the way it was before. It doesn't mean that you don't need to set up some healthy boundaries. It doesn't mean, even necessarily mean that you have to trust that person again. 
right? Moses struck the rock. He disobeyed God. He sinned against God. And was he forgiven? Yes. Was there consequence? Yes. He didn't get to lead the people into the promised land. There was both things working at the same time. And so what is forgiveness? It's a promise to do three things. We're going to end with this. Number one, it is a promise to not keep bringing up this offense to the person who offended you and holding it over their head. I'm not just going to keep bringing this thing up to you every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every time we're together. I'm just going to keep bringing up this charge and putting it over your head. It's saying, I'm forgiving you of this, and I'm forgetting about it. And so if you do this again, I'm not counting it as offense number two. I'm choosing to forgive. Secondly, it's a promise that I'm not going to keep bringing this up to other people about you. Meaning, I'm not going to keep building my coalition that makes me feel better about being angry about what you did to me. I'm extending forgiveness. I'm not going to keep bringing this up to you anymore, and I'm not going to keep bringing this up to everybody else anymore. And lastly, it's a promise I'm not going to keep rehearsing your offense to myself every day and letting the snowball of my anger and bitterness grow. I'm choosing to forgive you, a promise to do three things. I'm not going to bring this up to you anymore. I'm not going to bring this up to everybody else around us anymore. And I'm not going to keep replaying the offense in my mind anymore. Maybe you've heard the expression, it's time to bury the hatchet. I love the expression. Meaning, I got something on you, and I can hurt you with it. I got a play that I could, I could, I could make right here. You've given me some ammo that I could use, but I'm going to choose to bury the hatchet. Meaning, I'm not, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm choosing to forgive. And it was D.L. Moody, the great preacher, who talked about the man who buried the hatchet but left the handle sticking up just a couple inches in case he needed it again. And we're like that, aren't we? I'll forgive you, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to move on from it. And what I want for you today, I believe what God wants for you today is healthy, meaningful relationships. And my advice to you today, if you feel like, I just don't, I don't feel like I can extend that to other people. It's not a three-step plan. It's not, hey, let me teach you how to format a text message to ask for forgiveness or seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness. The message Jesus is offering today is, I want to encourage you to park your life at the foot of the cross and to just rehearse and sit under the waterfall of grace to remember for yourself all that you've been forgiven of in Christ. And as gratitude starts to build up in your heart, now you've got fuel in your tank to be able to offer and extend what you have first received. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray for anybody in here today who maybe there's a marriage in here today and they came to church together, but they didn't talk on the way here and they weren't really planning on talking on the way home. People who are sideways with coworkers, people that are isolated and lonely and feeling the effects of that. Jesus, I pray today that you would just give them the grace to sit under the waterfall of grace to think about all you've done for them and from that place with a full tank of gratitude to be able to offer and extend what they have received in you to those people around them. We want to live more like you, Jesus. Help us to be able to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great week.